The world needs the church because the church has what the world needs. We have a transforming Jesus, a Jesus who transforms people's lives, a Jesus who makes new, a Jesus who forgives, who frees. And last week we were able to hear the stories of transformation that Jesus has made in the lives of Maria and David. And before Christ, they were just an empty glass trying to fill it, trying to everything that they saw, that they um, tried to do with different things, with self, with drugs, whatever it might be, alcohol, friends. And it just didn't satisfy that spiritual hunger that was inside. Because each one of us has been created with a longing for Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're just an empty glass, that longing can only be filled when you, by faith, receive Jesus Christ. You receive the juice as we've been talking about for the past couple months. Because, see, the gospel transforms. It, it, it makes new. It frees. It forgives. And we're just days away from celebrating Thanksgiving with family and friends. Some of us will travel. Some of us will stay. And I would hope that during this time of Thanksgiving that you as with family and friends would take time to thank God for the people he's placed in your life. And as we approach Thanksgiving, it's appropriate for us tonight as a church body to turn our attention to the one who is the gospel, to Jesus Christ, to the one who has freed us from our sins. And that's what we want to do tonight. We want to turn our attention to him. You know, when Jesus has given us powerful expressions of thankfulness, powerful ways that we can express our thanksgiving to him, and one of those ways and means is through communion. And we're going to participate in communion together here in a few moments. You know, someone once said, I love what a Christian writer said. He said, you know, I believe he said that, that communion is our finest hour as Christians. It's our finest hour. And in a moment, we're going to be able to participate together in our finest hour as followers of Jesus Christ. For Maybe some of you, you grew up in a church tradition where it was called the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Eucharist. Whatever it was referred to, there is incredible meaning in communion. There's incredible significance in communion. And really, communion has its roots in a Thanksgiving feast. It comes out of a time of Thanksgiving. You see... Communion came out of the Passover feast. So let me just read a passage of Scripture from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 21. It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what's this mean? Then tell them this. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. You see, God gave the Passover feast to his people, the Israelites. He gave it to them. And it was to be a a feast of remembering, a, a, a feast of memory, a time for them to remember the event in their history when God himself broke them free from the chains of slavery to Egypt. And a time not only to remember when God set them free from the slavery of Egypt, but also passed over them with his judgment. And that's what you see here. They were captives in the land of Egypt, and and God was coming through, and he had promised that he would deliver them, and they'd been captives for over 400 years, and now it was time. God was putting this process into motion, this process of freedom for them as his people. It was starting to play out. And one of the things that he wanted them to do was to to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the door frames of their homes. And as God was passing through Egypt, passing his judgment over on Egypt, when he saw the blood, those homes that had blood on the door frames, the judgment of God would pass over. And so that night came, and if there was blood on the door frames, the judgment of God passed over them. They were set free from the judgment of God. And then After that was the moment, the event, when God set them free from slavery to Egypt. And you can see there's a beautiful picture there. All of that that happened with Israel and the Jews is pointing, was pointing to a time when the sacrificial lamb would come, when Jesus himself would come. Paul referred to Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as the Passover lamb, as the Passover lamb. And so what we see in Exodus 12 in the Passover feast is all pointing to the Passover lamb, once for all Jesus who would come. And through his shed blood and faith in his blood and faith in his body broken and his death, burial, and resurrection, the judgment of God passes over those who put their faith in Christ. And those who put their faith in the blood of Christ, the Passover lamb, they're set free from the chains of sin. And so what we have in this first Thanksgiving feast that God gives to his people is appointing to Jesus Christ, our true Passover lamb. And that's where the roots of communion come from. And then years later, after this occurrence of of God giving his people, the Jews, the Passover, Jesus then is celebrating this same feast with his disciples. In Luke chapter 22, And it's just hours before Jesus goes to the cross. And so here God gives this Passover feast of thanksgiving to his his people. And then centuries later, Jesus comes to earth. And just hours before his death on the cross, he celebrates this same feast with his disciples. And as he sits down with them, it says this. He says, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So here we have God giving to the Jews this Passover Thanksgiving feast to remember what he did for them when he freed them from the slavery of Egypt and passed over his judgment on them, passed his judgment over them. And then we have centuries later, Jesus celebrating this feast, and he gives thanks. Think about that. You know, think, think about Jesus giving thanks on that night. He's just hours, hours from going to the cross. And he gives thanks. That seems odd. He knows what's coming. He knows why he was sent to earth. He knows why he came. And yet in that moment, he's able to give thanks. Give thanks. And as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know what? Some of us tonight, it's very difficult for us to give thanks to God. In fact, some of us come in tonight and we're angry at God. We're bitter at God because of events that maybe have happened in our lives. And you know what that got me thinking about? Got me thinking about the cross. Because from the outside looking in, we're going, how? How could Jesus give thanks when he knows that this is all pointing to his death, such a a tragedy, such a negative, if you will? And yet he gives thanks because Jesus knows what his sacrifice is going to do. It's going to enable people who put faith in Jesus Christ to be set free from the chains of sin and be brought back into relationship with him, and he gives thanks. And so if you're here tonight and you find it hard to give thanks to God because of a tragedy or because you just thought you were dealt the wrong hand in life and you're blaming God, God is still good. He's still good whether you believe it or not. And he can take something that's so painful and hard and make it good. And make it good. Why? Because he is good. And we see him here giving thanks. And Paul refers to the cup in communion as the cup of thanksgiving in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what Jesus is doing here, he's taking an old tradition and giving it a new significance, right? He says, this is a new covenant in my blood. I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the one that the lamb centuries ago was pointing to. I'm now that lamb. For John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. That lamb is there, right there in that moment, Jesus Christ himself. And he's like, this is a new covenant in my blood. Once for all, I'm going to the cross to set you free from the slavery and chains of sin and to free you from the condemnation of God on your life because of your sin against God. Jesus goes to the cross so that you and I, through faith, can be set free from sin and be no longer under the wrath and just judgment of God for our sin, but set free and brought into a beautiful relationship with Him. Communion is a time of thanksgiving, and we get the opportunity to participate tonight in something that has been going on for centuries. For centuries, you get to participate in this tonight as a follower of Jesus. The roots of communion come from thanksgiving. We see God giving them His people This Thanksgiving feast is a reminder of who he is and how he frees his people. Jesus is celebrating it with his disciples. 
giving it a new significance. It's actually its ultimate significance, pointing to him. And then we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the significance of communion. What does communion signify? What does it help us remember? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and really what was going on there, they were kind of mis, not kind of, they were misusing communion, the Lord's Supper. They were, they were coming, and really there was a feast. In, in first century communion, they would have what they'd call like the agape feast, kind of a, a meal. And so some would come, and they'd come hungry, and so they'd just take the bread and start eating all the bread, right? And, or they'd come, and they'd just start drinking the wine, and they'd get drunk on the wine. They weren't waiting for anyone. It was just all this mess. And Paul says, I can't praise you for what you're doing. You, you're totally misusing it. You've totally forgotten what the purpose of communion is all about. And, and you can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and on. But what does communion signify? And so he reminds them in the middle of this um, chastisement, if you will, He reminds them what communion is all about. And he says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. You know, I have heard that phrase, I don't know how many times growing up in the church. Every time we had communion in, in, in church growing up, this was always said. They would always quote the words of Jesus, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And they would say something like, take, eat, or something like that. And as I was studying this this week, something caught my attention that I've never, it's been there, obviously, I just never really paused to notice it. You see, it was, it, what caught my attention was When Jesus says the phrase, this is my body, when does he say that? You see, we have here this loaf, and, and, you know, Jesus could have taken the whole loaf and he could have said, this is my body given for you. But he waited until what? Until he broke it, right? He broke it. And after he broke it, He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Bruised, crushed, pierced, so that you and I could be set free from the sins in our soul. Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you, and I give it for you. I give it for you. You And see, it signifies remembrance. Communion remembers Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion is about Jesus. And the, first Corinthian, or the, the Corinthian church, they lost sight of that. They lost sight that this is about Jesus. You're making it about yourselves. This is about remembering Christ the one who came to us, the one who put on human skin, came to us, took on the nature of a servant, went to the cross, obedient to death, so that you and I could be set free. It's about remembering Jesus, remembering who he is and what he's done, our Passover lamb. 
And now through Christ, you can go from an enemy of God to a son and daughter of God. All because of Jesus. All because of Him. And the bread simply symbolizes His body. Broken, given for us on the cross. And the cup signifies His blood that was poured out for us. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Just as in, in Exodus, as we read, God had the blood placed on the door frames of the homes. And it was through the blood that Jesus passed over. It was, and when he saw the blood, he passed his judgment over them. And so for those of us that have put our faith in Christ and the blood sacrifice of Christ on the cross, God's judgment, word, the, as Romans 8 says, there's not, therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ. You're... You're not condemned by God, so stop condemning yourself if you're here in Christ. You, you have a new identity. It's Jesus. You're not under condemnation anymore if you're here in Christ because of Christ's blood sacrifice on the cross for us. So the bread symbolizes his body, the broken bread, the cup symbolizes his blood poured out. So communion remembers. It remembers Jesus. Communion proclaims. You didn't know this tonight, but when you walked in here, you're going to preach a sermon. I thought about, I thought honestly about starting that way, telling you that each of you, and later on, you're going to have an opportunity to preach a sermon. Every one of you, we're going to take the time. You're going to be able to stand and take and, and preach a sermon, give a message tonight. And you are. You are if you're here in Christ, because. Paul says this, look at verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And the word proclaim there is where we get a word preach, a public declaration, a public announcement. Communion pours the juice, if you will. Communion proclaims that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he loves us, that he would come to us. Communion preaches, and so tonight as you go and you participate and take the bread and dip it in the juice and eat it tonight, you are proclaiming Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. Communion proclaims. It pours the juice of the gospel, and communion anticipates. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's powerful. Why? Because it speaks that Jesus is alive Right now, Jesus is alive, and he's coming back. He's the king, and he's going to come back. And for those of us who are in Christ, what a celebration that's going to be. For us to be with the one whose body was broken and whose blood was poured out so that we could be set free. He's coming back, and see, communion anticipates. It, it anticipates Jesus coming for us to free us from this broken world, and to make all things right. So communion remembers Christ. Communion proclaims Christ. Communion anticipates Christ's return. And communion promotes. You know, I never noticed this before, but as I was studying it, how many times Paul uses or references coming together to the church. He says in verse, in verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together, in verse 20, when you come together, together. Verse 22, or do you despise the church of God, referring to them gathering together as the church? And then he says, later on he says in verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together, in verse 34, when you meet together, and he's talking about community, he's talking about that of event, that moment in the life of the church when they gather together for the specific focus of remembering Christ, preaching Christ, anticipating Christ's return. Communion promotes 
the togetherness of the body. Because communion is taken together as the body. So Paul is contrasting. He's saying when you come, you're making it all about you. You're not waiting for anybody. You're, you're all about just feeding your stomach. You're totally missing out. You're, it's, you're making it all about you and being, making it individual. And that's not what communion does. Communion promotes. It promotes us as the church. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul uses the analogy of one loaf. One loaf. Referencing that there's one body, the church, those who have taken from the bread of life who is Jesus and whose spiritual hunger has been satisfied because of Jesus. And so communion promotes the togetherness of the church. And who are the participants in communion? The church. The church. Paul is writing to a local expression of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. So communion is specifically for the church. And so if you're here tonight and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have not turned from your sin, trusted in Jesus Christ as a substitute for the payment of your sin, then you're not a Christian. And you're not part of the church, the body of believers. But that doesn't have to be your story. But if it is your story, you're still in sin, separate from God, still under the judgment of God because you have not placed the blood of Jesus upon your heart in faith. And so I want to encourage you tonight in this moment, turn from your sin, call out to Jesus, asking him to forgive you of your sins. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and be set free from the bondage of sin. And be set free from the judgment of God upon your sin by placing faith in Christ. And those who have, that's the church. And communion is only for the church. So if Christ is in you, participate tonight. But do it in a way tonight to where you are just really thinking in thankfulness to Jesus Christ for who he is. Remembering who he is and what he went through on the cross so that you, you tonight, could be set free from sin. And so that you tonight could have the very presence of the Spirit of Christ living inside you. Do you realize that? Do you know what's going on inside you right now if you're a follower of Jesus? Do you? Do you know what's going on right now in this moment inside you? Jesus is. Jesus is going on through his Spirit right inside you tonight. Why? Because of the cross. And because you've placed faith in Christ and his cross. That's reason to be thankful tonight. You're no longer in chains to sin. You're no longer under the condemnation of God. You have the forgiveness and the freedom. You're made new in Christ. That's the church. So if you're here tonight as the church, participate. If you're here tonight and you've not placed your faith in Christ, and we ask you just quietly not to participate tonight, but let me ask you this question. What is keeping you from turning your life over to Jesus? As long as you're trying to fill your glass on your own, it will always stay empty. The only one that will truly and can truly fill your glass is Jesus Christ because that's who the glass was made for. So give your life to Jesus tonight. What a beautiful night to do it in thankfulness to him. Someone said this celebration is the clearest symbolic expression of our redemption in Jesus Christ. The body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us, giving us the forgiveness of sins. 
Communion represents the best that Christianity has to offer. And so celebrating communion, celebrating the Lord's table is our finest hour as Christians. It's our finest hour. You see, communion tonight remembers Christ. Communion tonight proclaims Christ. Communion tonight anticipates Christ's return. And communion tonight promotes Christ's church. And so let's celebrate Christ tonight as we participate together in communion. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time of just reflective and instrumental music. And what I want you to do is just quietly in your seat, take some time to examine your heart. Paul talks about that later in 1 Corinthians 11. Examine your heart before Christ tonight. Maybe it's in that moment when you, for the first time, are going to give your life to Jesus tonight. And so when you sense that your heart is ready in thankfulness and in gratitude to participate in communion, just simply make your way to one of the two stations and there's pieces of bread. Just take the piece of bread, dip it in the juice and eat. And then return to your seat and just in quiet prayer, offer a prayer of thanks to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being with us tonight. We celebrate you tonight. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us. We're so undeserving. So undeserving. And yet because of your great love to us, not because we loved you, but because you loved us, you came to us. And so we remember you tonight, Jesus. We remember that you died and your body was broken for us. And that your blood was poured out for us, church. And we look forward to the day when you're going to come back and get us. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church to live in unity with one another. And we do that by constantly looking at Jesus, you, Jesus, the cross. And together, we just cry out like Paul did, thanks be to you, God, for your indescribable gift. And Lord Jesus, this is for you tonight. This is to you tonight. Thank you.